Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is live stream versus televangelism. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and I serve at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, we have Deacon Bonnie to thank for this <laughs> wonderful idea. Or at least some of it. Don't know if this is exactly what she atten- intended, but we're taking it. <laughs> we're going to take it and run. The crux of this is now that we're live streaming, is it really all that different from what you see televangelists doing? And I think we should probably start with, what do we think a televangelist is anyway? And this is where I think that we are just going to take a teacup and just spill it everywhere. Okay. <laughs> And because I don't know that what we think is a televangelist is necessarily fair. Oh, no, it's a stereotype as much as it is anything. Very likely. I think when you and I think of how's this, I should take and say what I think of when I think of a televangelist. Okay. And when I think of a televangelist, I think of like 1990s cable television giant hair sitting on a set that's very bright, like super brightly lit with lots of white and big chairs. Why do I think of big chairs? Well, because there are comfy big chairs in the back of most of these sets because otherwise they are bare. Is that? That's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And then like scrolling telephone numbers across the bottom of the television screen. Mm Mm-hmm. And heavy southern drawls Mm -hmm. and lots of calls to prayer and lots of calls to call us now to pledge your financial support to Jesus. Mm -hmm. The only thing you left out from what I understand televangelism to be is the eyes of Tammy Faye and that mascara running down their face because they are just so into whatever they happen to be into at that moment. And I didn't even know like any of their names because it was so frightening to me. I wouldn't stay on the channels at all. It was fascinating enough that I would flip through every now and again and big wide eyes go, what in the world am I looking at? Because you remember, I grew up Catholic, which means the pomp and circumstance of the Pope. I mean, that's a high bar. Yeah. But this was hitting a high bar in a very different way. Totally. And emotionally strong. I think there was a strong emotional pull to televangelism, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that that was something that I had heard a lot about, that televangelism was very much, it was focused on music and worship and praise, and there would be a lot of loud speaking and a lot of strong emotional pull Mm -hmm. in the messages and in the music that was chosen. And the messages were there in order to help you find your way to accepting Jesus and help you find your way to supporting a ministry that would bring Jesus into your life. For me, it is a straight line, right or wrong. I have absolutely no idea. But in my brain, it goes televangelist to the loud evangelicals of today. That is like a direct line. Don't know. And I think Jerry Falwell Mm -hmm. was very much a part of all of this, right? Mm -hmm. 
this is where someone with some better church history than me probably needs to come into this and someone with history around this particular. And I will say that in my research around evangelism, Mm -hmm. that some of this did come up, right? But I didn't go specifically into the televangelism research route. I researched more along the lines of the sinner's prayer and more along the route of what evangelism really was considered to be in North America Mm -hmm. and how the sinner's prayer began to take root in North America. I think that the sinner's prayer became a part of televangelism, probably most likely, but I didn't, I didn't look in specifically to how televangelism tied in with this kind of change people's orientation, like how to get people to change their mind. Mm -hmm. Part of what I researched with evangelism is this kind of method, not of coming alongside of someone and being present alongside of them, but coming in order to change their minds, in order to encourage them to believe something different than they already believe. That was a method of evangelism that lots and lots of books in North America, they're strategy books that teach you how to convince someone of what you want them to believe. That's fascinating because that's not necessarily what I think of when I think of televangelists. I mean, at its root, for the purposes of this discussion, let's just say that they were preachers who were using television as a new medium to reach other people. But what I saw from the televangelists wasn't necessarily that they were trying to convert anybody necessarily as much as reinforce the beliefs that they already had. The same way when you're flipping through a magazine and you see an ad for a car that you've already bought, that's when you stop and look at it. Most advertising, I believe, I read somewhere, is about reinforcing a purchase that you've already made, not necessarily about swaying you to a different position on something. Oh, that's fascinating. So for the televangelism crew, it's not about trying to bring in new people. It's about reinforcing. That's how I always saw it as you have these strong beliefs and we are right there with you. We think you are absolutely right. And here's how you can go a step further. Oh, fascinating. But again, I didn't spend all that much of my childhood watching televangelists. I don't know what their actual end game really was. And I have no idea. But the question that we're being kind of thrown out is, how is what many of us are doing now since the pandemic different now that we are live streaming our Mm -hmm. worship services? How is that any different from being a televangelist? And there's been kind of a bit of a joke in some of these, not a joke, but to be fair, a lot of mainline Protestant preachers and and leaders and pastors don't necessarily have an affinity for evangelical televangelists. We have very different theology and we have very different practices, both in worship and in theology. Mm -hmm. And we get judgy against each other. (laughs) Okay. Like, let's just be honest about that. There's definitely a divide. And our methodologies are so vastly different. Some of this can go back to, there's a term worship wars, where like how liturgical congregations don't like modern contemporary worship and modern contemporary worship think that liturgical congregations are boring and stodgy. And 
pretty typically these two styles don't get along very well. Really? In theory, it's really a lot more us and them making, creating divides where there don't need to be divides. But when the pandemic hit and more and more people started live streaming, more and more congregations Mm -hmm. started to offer their services online, more and more liturgical congregations started to recognize the benefit of offering their services in this kind of a format and seeing how much people could find a real connection in this kind of a format. And so they started kind of making a joke of it, like, well, I never thought that I would end up being a televangelist, but I guess here I am. Mm -hmm. But I wonder how much we have thought we being liturgical mainline Protestant pastors have assumed that televangelism is about recruiting new Christians versus what you're saying that you experienced it as, as supporting and uplifting the faithful. Well, yeah, but there's another component to the televangelists, which we have not gotten into, which was back to something you would refer to of call this number and help us support things. And for me, televangelism, as much as it's preachers on TV, is help me buy a yacht, right? Yeah. That's the stereotype. That's the stereotype. That, I think, is going to be where the difference lies in terms of, sure, you're still going to, and you always do, during the offering portion of the service, ask for financial help. And yet at the same time, you're not tying it to the person's salvation, which I believe they do often in the televangelists that are still on TV, where they are still very much out to get that boat, to get that private plane, and to be there living the good life for God for you. I don't know. It's such a slippery line. It's so hard to know, right? Because every week I have to say, if you have not recently made a financial support gift, please visit www.centralportland.org slash gifts. But you've said something very similar before. Every week that you've been a pastor, I don't understand why it being on the internet makes it so much more squishy for you. I think it's different um, during the worship service when we would take the offering Mm -hmm. and pass the offering plate. I wasn't the one who would say, we would just say, we continue our worship service with our tithes and offerings. Mm -hmm. And then the choir would offer their singing and we would take the offering. And it was a part of the worship service. We're not passing the plate. We're not accepting the offering that way because it's COVID and Mm -hmm. we haven't been passing the plate since the beginning of COVID. People offer their gifts in other ways. Mm -hmm. So now we use this language that's different. And I think I'm never afraid of inviting people to give an offering because I think people love, I know I love getting to give financial support to organizations and to people that I really believe in. And it is an amazing opportunity to get to invite people to give generously. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful thing to get to participate in. And I think there is that, that wondering of not wanting to come off as someone who's trying to take advantage of others. We have a ginormous building 
that soaks up financial support. Yep. At three times the rate we can put into it. So there's no way that our congregation will ever be able to overpay anyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, that's not really a concern for us, but I can understand how it's a concern. It's just hard sometimes. Some days it's easier than others. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that the language is where you get tripped up in this. And I'm thinking back to, we had live streamed the services for a very long time before the Mm -hmm. pandemic ever hit. Did that question ever enter in your mind just for that amount Mm -hmm. of time? No? Nope. But there's something about the pandemic that has changed all that. It's because I'm specifically looking at the camera And saying, go here to make your offering. Let me ask you this. Was it different when it was just Zoom only versus now when it's a hybrid situation? Because Zoom only, you get the interesting component of you can have interaction with people. If they have their cameras on, you get a more intimate feel than just being on a screen somewhere on a television channel or whatnot, right? It seems that there's a slightly different component to it. And I think it's that feeling that it's removing it from the worship liturgical element. Okay. I think when it takes it out of that liturgical flow of we continue our worship with our tithes and offerings, and then it becomes a part of that liturgical moment where we give back out of the abundance that we receive versus... Now's the time in which you give your money Mm -hmm. or we talk about finances now. Like, I think maybe I just need to do some language tweaking, right? And maybe that's the piece that kind of is jarring with the language from what I remember, recall vaguely from televangelism Mm -hmm. is, you know, it harkens back then, of course, as Lutherans, it harkens back to indulgences, Mm -hmm. right? To say, if you need prayer for your deceased uncle to be released from purgatory, if you have a hardness in your life and you know that you need Jesus, send your $25 and we will lift up that prayer for you, right? It harkens back to that Mm -hmm. by your way into God's favor that set off the Reformation for me. And as a Lutheran, my hackles just raise Mm -hmm. when that kind of a thing comes up. And so the difficulty is that the offering comes right before we get to the table. And so there's the difficulty of trying to make certain that there's never an equation that your offering has to come before you receive communion. So there's no fee for entry Mm -hmm. to receive communion because that's the worst equation that there could ever be. And so how how I facilitate that transition and being online has made it 10 times as difficult sure. to me. Okay, money issue aside. Yeah. Just getting back to a preacher with a new way of reaching other people. How does that fit into your scheme of what a televangelist is? Do you still feel weird leading a worship service, hybrid or Zoom only, because of that component? It's more accessible. I think I appreciate so much more the accessibility Mm -hmm. in the sense that people can find it at a time that is more accessible for them if they need to. There are more 
accessibility options in the sense of captions Mm -hmm. for live streaming. There are caption options now, which is really, really awesome. Even if they're not perfect, Facebook does that for us with auto captioning. Nice. And that's fantastic. So there's a lot of different pieces about it that I really love and I'm really grateful for. The pieces that are more challenging have more to do with audio is challenging. Uh huh. And I'm trapped back at one location again. I can't go wandering again. Mm-hmm. Right? We're limited by the tech that we have in the room. Why wouldn't you just go back to some sort of a live stream then instead of having the hybrid component to it? Because we can't interact with our people on Zoom then. And that's so important to how you feel this needs to go forward? I think there's just such an incredible power to being able to interact with the people who are from home now for our home-based members or even our bed-based members. If we think of, instead of saying homebound or Mm -hmm. bed-bound individuals, to say bed-based or home-based individuals, we will see such an incredible uptick in disability coming out of this pandemic. And to find ways to be inclusive, to find ways to be accessible, not just passively so, not just you get to watch the world now, but Mm -hmm. to be inclusive, to be accessible for their voices to continue to matter and to be present in the room as they want them to be, for their faces to be present in the room as they wish to be. We had a whole entire event where people were able to suddenly participate in ways that they've been able to do, but we haven't made happen before. Why would we go backward and close down those accessibility points if we can continue to find a way forward with them? So it's hard, but it's worth it to keep those lanes, those doors, those possibilities open. So I think it's worth it. Excellent. It's just a challenge. That's going to lead me to my last question. I was going to originally ask if you were going to lean into this televangelist, I'm using air quotes or scare (laughs) quotes as it may be, but I think you've proven that you just, you're going to go ahead with it because you see its value. So my question to you then is, what do you hope that you can solve in the immediate to sort of make this easier for everybody on a Sunday morning? I'm really looking forward to finding a way for the audio issues to be solved. Mm -hmm. We have plans for it and we have parts ordered. (laughs) Still waiting. (laughs) Still waiting for their arrival, I believe. So I have faith that it's going to come through and that we're going to find the way to plug the system in in such a way that it will come through in a beautiful way. And I believe in that. I believe in that possibility. What I want to see happen is the day when the audio between the two spaces can combine really easily Mm. so that the people in the Zoom room can be heard in the sanctuary and the people in the sanctuary can be heard the same way in the Zoom room. And so then if we have someone 
who physically can't be in the space but wants to lecture, that they can do so from home and that it will be just as loud and just as crisp and clear and their face can be seen as clear as if they were at the lectern. And then the assisting minister can be at the lectern and they'll be seen clearly at home, right? But that the Mm -hmm. two places and spaces can be combined seamlessly so that the community can be whole even if we physically are not able to be. So that when we have members with a cancer diagnosis or with... A broken leg, something very simple. A broken leg or, you know, traveling Mm -hmm. far away or spending a semester abroad, but wanting to maintain a connection with their faith community or with their family, whatever it is that they want to stay connected or someone who's in a small town in the Midwest wanting to have an affirming congregation that will use their pronouns safely Mm -hmm. for them, right? Anything that there's this place where we can do that work together and be that community together. So if that's a form of televangelism, if that's whatever it is, you know, that's my dream that we can make it all work one way or another. We'll see. We'll get there. We'll get there. Someday maybe we'll even be able to sing happy birthday as a group of people on Zoom. And wouldn't that be glorious? Wouldn't that be great? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the difference between live streaming and televangelism. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for joining us. You are always welcome to join us for a Sunday morning worship service. You can join us on site now that we are back on site. Or you can join us online via Zoom, or you can catch us on Facebook at your leisure. We would love to hear back from you. You can reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org. And until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what. <laughs>